This podcast is recorded at CFRC, which is located on the Queen's University campus. Queen's University is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. At OPERG, we are deeply committed to all efforts of decolonization at Queen's, in Kingston, and throughout Turtle Island. History Podcast. We're Oprah Kingston, which stands for Ontario Public Interest Research Group. We're a student-run group with a focus on research, education, and action on everything related to social and environmental justice. The People's History Podcast, which is what you're listening to right now, aims to recognize and preserve the important roles that Kingstonians and Queen students have played in many social movements throughout the years. The stories of people who struggled for social and environmental justice often go untold in official histories. So, the People's History Project seeks to remedy these silences by bringing these stories to life. So if you've ever been curious about how Kingston and Queens as we know it came to be, you're listening to the right podcast. talking about the life of a legendary character in Queen's history, Alfred Alfie Pierce. The story of his life and role in the Kingston and Queen's community gives a window into the university's controversial past issues with the Black community. Queen's continues to grapple with how to honor his memory. While many past and present Queen students are familiar with the name Alfie, few are really aware of the story behind his life. Accounts of Alfred Pierce's life vary dramatically, but according to the traditional story, he was born on the Queen's birthday, May 24, 1874, in Kingston, to two fugitive slaves, Margaret and Albert Pierce, who escaped from the United States to settle in Kingston. He was christened at St. James Anglican Church and attended Gordon Street Public School, which was originally located where Banry Hall, the women's residence, now stands. When he was only 12 years old, Pierce is said to have been orphaned and left in the care of his half-brother from his mother's first marriage, David Dempster, for a short while. However, official records saying the date of Margaret Pierce's death was in 1903, when her son would have been around 30 years old, contradict that element to the story. We'll find that, despite his popularity amongst the Queen's athletic community, many facts about his life are disrupted or unknown. Just another example of why social history projects like this one that tell people's untold stories are so important. But 
What is certain is that Pierce was a very talented athlete from a young age. At only 15, his talent was noticed by Guy Curtis, football captain and one of the most iconic and successful athletes in Queen's history, who invited him to the team's football practice the next day. After this, Pierce became the water boy, handyman, and masseuse for the team, but was more seen as the team's mascot. Regardless of whether or not Curtis was indeed Alfie's patron, Pierce idolized him. In a photo taken of the 1892-93 hockey team, you can see Alfie lying on the floor at their feet with Curtis's foot on his hip. Amina Ali summarizes it well in Deconstructing the Queen's Spirit, describing Alfie as the black charm piece or object of amusement for the Queen's football team of white men. She points out that given the historical background, it's, quote, a liberal statement to say that the Queen's football team had their very own public slave. Many saw Alfie as an integral part of the Queen's football team and played an important part in their pre-game ritual. Mervyn Dobbs' book, Gale Force, A Century of Football at Queen's, has a chapter called A Gentleman of Color that describes the ritual. It would start with Alfie standing on the playing field to greet the players who, led by their captain, ran in a single file line from dressing rooms under the stands. He would be flamboyantly dressed in the university's colors, described as a tall, stooped, dusky man with large feet, gnarled hands, and a certain nobleness of countenance and dignity of bearing. He would throw a football to the captain, who would then lead his players into a pre-game warm-up. Flanked by a couple of cheerleaders, Alfie would then shuffle dramatically, as if his feet hurt him, which they did, to the bleachers on the student side of the field. Then came the iconic chant that is engraved in the memories of thousands of alumni and Kingstonians. What's the matter with Alfie? asked the cheerleaders. He's all right, the fans responded. Who's all right? Alfie. Who says so? Everybody. Who's everybody? And then the fans would go thundering back to the oil thigh. While the Queen's Encyclopedia says that football captain Guy Curtis named Pierce's team mascot with the thoughtless bigotry typical of the day, it fails to expand on how racism surrounding Alfie continued to be perpetuated long after his death. Now, let's dive a bit more into the personal life, the side of Alfie that most people don't know. Alfie was allowed to sleep beneath the stands of Richardson Stadium in the summer and sleep in a change room turned boiler room in the basement of Jock Hardy Arena in the winter. In exchange for the Queen's Athletic Board of Control's, quote, generosity, Pierce was given the responsibility of acting as both a handyman and night watchman and keeping the furnace full of coal. His only roommate was his co-mascot, Boo Boo the Bear. According to a biography of Pierce's life, the arena furnace also doubled as Pierce's stove for quite some time. In his tiny room in the bottom of the arena, Alfie initially didn't have anywhere to cook, so before going to bed, he would put a can of super beans bought at a nearby grocery store on Alfred Street on top of the hot water boiler and leave it there all night because this was the only way that he could have a hot meal ready for him the next day. Pierce's acquaintances said that later he was able to get a small stove he could cook his meals on. It wasn't until later that the Queen's Athletic Board decided to finally compensate Alfie 
with a weekly allowance of $10, a Christmas bonus, and clean underwear every week. Pierce's biographies don't have much information about his personal life, but go in depth on his, quote, money-making schemes as an elderly man. One of these stories talks about a local merchant who would regularly stop by Jackson Hall after work every day to chat with Alfie and give him 50 cents. Alfie never failed to leave whatever he was doing at the time of day and hobbled to the Jackson Hall steps to meet the merchant. Once he had his 50 cents, a very pleased Alfie would return to work. Pierce would also get gifts of dollar bills in the mail at Christmas from fans in the Queens and Kingston community but would have to wait for the superintendent to come bring him the mail because he was discouraged from wandering around the gymnasium complex where the mail was delivered. Around Christmas each year, Alfie would look forward to the delivery of these cards and was supposedly rumored to give the messages in the cards little attention once he pocketed the cash gifts. Biographies also describe some of Alfie's so-called less legitimate means of acquiring money. Books go into depth about certain stories, like the time a Queen's Faculty of Medicine prof questioned Alfie about his shabby attire. When Alfie told him that he didn't own anything else, the professor sent over two expensive suits that he didn't need anymore. Alfie is said to have promptly sold the suits for $5 each. Similarly, after asking about his scruffy clothes, the owner of a local menswear store sent him a fur coat which Alfie once again sold. The criticism of Alfie's, quote, less legitimate means of acquiring money is a topic often covered in a lot of detail, yet few focus on the conditions that made Alfie's actions necessary. Given the conditions in which Alfie lived, it should come as no surprise that social etiquette surrounding gift-giving was of lesser importance than fighting to make sure his needs were met. Some biographers have appropriately pointed out that instead of buying practical items or necessities, for Alfie, professors and locals chose to get him suits and coats because they felt it was more of a priority that the Queen's mascot look presentable. While there may be some truth to the stories about Alfie's money-making schemes, they are really just a small part of Alfie's story and are often given way too much attention. What isn't given enough attention, however, is the fact that all these supposed money-making schemes are a symptom of the racism that he endured when he lived and worked on campus. The focus must shift from a critical analysis of Pierce's behavior to one that considers what conditions on Queen's campus made Alfie's actions necessary. As research conducted by the Stones Project highlighted, Alfie did not always reside on Queen's campus, particularly during the years of World War I. From 1906 to 1908, Alfie was listed as a laborer in the directories living on Albert Street, and from 1909 to 1912, he worked at the Locomotive Works and lived on King Street East. After that, he went from being a hack driver to being a liveryman, moving around from lodging to lodging as his job changed. When Alfie returned to Queen's campus after the war years, he shared his accommodations with his bear co-mascot. Queen's bear cub mascot named Queen's Boohoo lived in the boiler room of Jock Harry Arena for the couple of years it was at Queen's, with Elfie in charge of feeding it. However, Queen's Boohoo was moved to a zoo in Watertown, New York, after becoming too vicious. 
Some biographers have appropriately pointed out that despite the bear's viciousness, none of the articles written about Alfred Pierce even bother to explore the consequences for the bear's violent behavior on Mr. Pierce's safety. In fact, instead of concerning themselves with the safety of Pierce's living conditions and the dangers that come with having a bear for a roommate, the board instead chose to replace Queen's Boohoo with a series of six black bear mascots, each successively named King Boohoo. Decades later, in 1948, Alfie had a stroke that left both of his arms paralyzed. He had a second stroke in 1951 and was found unconscious on the floor of his room in the arena. According to one account, hospital officials said he also suffered severe frostbite to both feet, which had become dangerous. He died shortly after. After his death, Alfie's body lay in state in the gymnasium for two hours as students, staff, faculty, and alumni filed past. Four formal football captains and two recipients of the Alfie Pierce Award, created during his lifetime and presented to the top male and female students in first year, were his pallbearers. Alfie was buried in the Church of England Cemetery at Cataraqui near his mother. His gravestone, which was a gift of the class of medicine of 1934, bared the following inscription. Alfie Pierce. 1874 to 1951, a faithful servant of Queen's University, erected by Meds 34. This faithful servant is often remembered as the personification of Queen's spirit, and the name Alfie Pierce has come up many times on campus since his death. Some believe that he never left, and his memory has often been used in Queen's folklore. In the 1970s, the Queen's Journal and the Whig Standard published articles claiming that Alfie Pierce's ghost had come back to haunt Queen's campus. When a student was found dead outside the alumni office, the Queen's Journal blamed the ghost of Alfie Pierce. In 1975, one letter to the editor published in the Queen's Journal and signed as Alfie Pierce explained the reason given for the supposed retaliation of Mr. Pierce's angry ghost was the unimpressive 1974 Gales football season. Another article published in the Whig Standard in 1989 described a show during a two-day festival celebrating Cataraqui heritage where an actor playing the part of the ghost of Alfie Pierce appeared from beyond the monuments and joined the crowd. There are several articles published in both papers that have dramatized fake stories of Alfie's ghosts and created an amusing perception of Alfie and his life. In 1979, there was a vote to decide the new name of the campus pub under the J-Duck, which is now known as the Underground. The three options were Alfie's, the Underground, and the Crumpled Kilt. Although in the 70s, the name Alfie's won by a landslide, the choice was later questioned. In 2006, the Chair of Culture Shock, a campus publication that is still published in Collective Reflections every year, organized an event called Free Elfies. This coffeehouse-style event attracted about 150 members of the Queen's community. Pins that read Free Elfies and Respect Mr. Alfred Pierce were sold and played an important role in creating a dialogue to help students learn about Alfred Pierce.
In an article, Amina Ali called for the name of the campus pub to be changed. She said, quote, It is crucial for us to educate ourselves regarding the unspoken history and blatant racism behind the Queen's tradition. It is also crucial for us at Queen's University, students, staff, faculty, admin, and alumni to be committed to concrete action. Thus, knowing the background regarding Alfie's Campus Pub and understanding the following action needs to be taken concerning what this strong tradition at Queen's really means and what the spirit of Alfie Pierce truly represents. An important and symbolic anti-racist action this institution can commit to is to change the name of our campus pub. This kind of action is long overdue, and our inaction simply confirms the anti-racist reform policies and statements echoed over many years of lip service. In 2013, the name of the campus pub officially changed from Elfie's to the name it has now, the underground. The AMS vice president of operations at the time, Nicola Plummer, told the Queen's Journal that the name change was a result of concerns raised by students that the club negatively reflected the memory of Elfie Pierce. Plummer pointed out that the underground is a non-offensive name that reflects the venue. However, Measures should be taken to ensure that the reasoning behind this name change is remembered, because erasing Alfie Pierce's story does not change the history of racism on Queen's campus. Biographer Amina Ali summarizes it well, explaining that, quote, Alfie's treatment by Queen's is an example of how members of a dominant culture failed and still fail to see how their treatment of a marginalized person robbed him of autonomy and dignity. The story of Alfie Pierce is a story that illuminates the racist history of Queen's campus, while the manner in which Alfie Pierce is remembered highlights the ways in which this racism still exists. And yet, Queen's continues to do all that it can to erase these histories from public knowledge. For example, in 2018, student social justice groups on campus were looking for a safe and accessible office space. Once the space was designated, the group suggested that it should be named Alfie Pierce Social Justice Center to honor this story, as well as Queens's fraught history regarding racism and racial injustice. However, the administration decided to call the space the Yellow House instead, seemingly in order to honor the color of the exterior of the building. Many feel that Alfie Pierce was and is tradition, but perhaps this is one tradition that requires a bit more critical reflection. And this is the kind of work we hope to do with the People's History Project. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to hear more untold stories about people fighting for social justice in Kingston, tune into the next episode of People's History Podcast. If you want to know more about OPERG or the People's History Project, or if you're interested in getting involved, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Oprah Kingston and stay up to date. Yours is the quest that's just begun.